Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we are so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another amazing message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. In Romans chapter 14, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So it'll be on the screen. Follow along in whatever version you have. We're continuing our series on practical Christian living. And this morning, we're going to be speaking about living in harmony. One thing that's very important for, for us to grasp and lay claim to and understand from the very early stages of our journey with Christ is that the Lord God blesses unity. He looks for unity and he blesses it. It pleases God when his people live in harmony and live in unity together. In fact, Jesus said, by your love for each other and your harmony and your unity together, the world will know that you're mine and they'll see you and they'll glorify the Father because of that. And then you think about the present society that we're living in now and no doubt, no wonder that there's so much disunity, right? So much discord, so much fighting because what God is doing is he's allowing a stage to be set for the people of God to shine. Do you understand? It doesn't, like today, it doesn't take a lot for a Christian to stand out from the world. And simply being able to walk in unity together, walk in harmony, live together in peace, live together in love, will show the world there's something unique about them because very few people are doing it. Now, we're going to read a lot, so follow along with me. Romans chapter 14 Starting at the first verse, again, I'm reading the New Living Translation, but follow along. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating it. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. I'm going to read that verse again. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. 
Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink, but it's of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Do you see why I read to you in the New Living Translation this morning? Very easy to understand, isn't it? Very clear. Not a lot of commentary necessary, but because we have about 45 minutes, I'm going to go ahead and give some. <laughs> the context of this scripture, you have to understand, very, very important for context. The Roman church is made up at this time of both Jews and Gentiles. Some of the Jews would have been taught that if you're going to please God, you have to follow strict dietary guidelines. If, if God is going to be honored in the way you live, there are just certain days that are more important, certain holidays, certain feasts. You have to follow them. You cannot miss. It's just important. God, this is important to God. That's what they would have been taught. Some of the Gentiles that are now believers in Christ would have come from pagan religions and they too would have had their own observances. In fact, many of them would have used food as a sacrifice to their false god and to their idols. So you can imagine, there are questions in the church of Jesus Christ, right? There's this, some people are doing this thing and some people are doing that and they're pointing fingers at each other. And there's probably a little contention. In fact, it wasn't just in the Roman church. In a minute, you're going to see that it was in the church at Corinth as well. And so the guidance that Paul gives that we just read in this particular verse is, re is in regard to things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in the new covenant. You got to understand that. It's what I'm calling personally gray areas. Mm. How many of you know that there are gray areas in this thing? There are some areas that the scripture doesn't necessarily address directly. Make no mistake as we get going. If it is addressed in the Bible, it is not a gray area. If it is addressed in scripture, no room for argument. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. I heard someone say the other day, and I thought it was with great wisdom. We get too often, we tend to read a passage of scripture and then we'll say to other believers, hey, what do you think about this verse? Or what do you think about that verse? You know, listen, I know the spirit of why you're saying that, but at the end of the day, who cares? It doesn't matter what you think about the verse. It doesn't matter what I think about the verse. What does the verse say? What does the Bible say? If it says it and it's clear and it's there and we figure it out, boom, that's it. No room for discussion. Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. But not everything is that way. There are some areas that are simply gray. And so I love what the Apostle Paul does. 
he gives these principles, what we'll call practical principles, that if we will follow the principles, it will open the door for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because at the end of the day, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Are you with me? So let's get in. Paul is addressing the importance of living in harmony with each other. You see that very clearly. In fact, skip now to Romans chapter 15. It really ends this whole discourse. It goes the 14th chapter into the 15th, and it really ends in the seventh verse. I'm going to read you Romans 15 verses 5 and 7. Listen to what he says. It's kind of the conclusion of all that Paul's saying. He says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Notice what he says. Living in harmony with one another is important so that you can raise up one voice so that you can be strong together and speak as one voice together so that the world isn't hearing many messages but they're hearing one message how many have you ever been in a room and someone's trying to talk to you and one person's talking and another person's talking or maybe you have multiple kids and one kid's over here mom mom dad hey yo and another kid's over here and someone's talking what what do you feel it's anxiety you're not listening you're not getting any message, right? And what this verse of scripture is saying is that when the Christians walk in harmony together and choose to walk in harmony, the world can hear one voice. And that one voice brings glory to Jesus. Now, you have to ask yourself, how well have we done at this in America when there's thousands of denominations, it feels like? Churches everywhere. Every denomination under the sun. And an unbeliever is looking at that and saying, whoa, these people are crazy. They can't even agree together. Who cares what they say? Who cares? They can't even, they can't even agree on simple, their own theology. They can't even under, that, what, what do, who cares what they have to say, right? No, Paul says it's very important. It's vital. It's a vital truth. It's an important practical uh, uh, truth that we have to get very early because God cares about our harmony. Now, throughout the 14th chapter, we read it. We'll see it in 1 Corinthians in a moment. We see that there are strong Christians and there are weak Christians. But it may not be exactly what you think. In fact, Paul says the strong Christians, those that are strong in faith, they understood that their spiritual liberty in Christ was uh, given to them as a gift of grace and a gift of mercy. And they understood that they were no longer bound by, by the law or by, by diets, by holy days. That's what's spoken of specifically. He says, that's a strong Christian. When you understand who you are in Christ. He says, a weak Christian is someone that's immature. They don't fully understand. And so because they don't know the new covenant very well, they still obey legalistic laws, legalistic rules. They're still following man-made traditions. 
Think of that. That's kind of counter what you and I tend to think today in our culture, don't we? We tend to look at individuals who are holy, we say. That's this wrong verbiage, but oh boy, look at them. They don't dress, they dress so different. They, they don't cut their hair. They don't, whatever, whatever. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So-and-so doesn't watch TV. They don't listen to this. And we say, wow, they're a strong Christian. That's not what the scripture says. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, listen, there's good in this. And holiness is good. Listen, I'm not, don't think I went off the edge here. The holiness is good. Holiness is right. But it's our definition of holiness. What is it? And Paul's just addressing this. And he's saying, listen, you think just because you observe certain things or follow certain rules or you live with, with a pious kind of lifestyle, that doesn't make you a mature believer. Maturity is when you begin to recognize who you are in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. Are you with me? And so as we get into this, you have to understand that although the context of Romans 14 and 15 and then what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians is about, is about food offered to idols and whether or not Christians should eat it and about what certain days, Sabbaths, holidays, all of that we should observe... That might not seem like it pertains to you, right? It may not feel like, oh, that's not a big deal. And so, and maybe it isn't. But there are still gray areas that we could plug in. And, and so, therefore, it's practical to us because the principles are practical. Does that make sense? The, the principles still apply. That's the, that's the heart of the matter. I don't think that Paul or the Holy Spirit, knowing how the church is going to progress and all of this, it wasn't necessarily, he was answering a question about food offered to idols. He was, he was answering a question about holy days, but the Holy Spirit having the mind of God and all of the wisdom knows that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them principles that will transcend time and transcend traditions and transcend everything else. Because today it's food offered to idols, tomorrow it's going to be something else. Now I want to be careful because I don't want you to think that I came with some particular thing in mind, some particular gray area. But I want you to think this morning about some areas that Christians tend to bicker about. Not majors, but minors. Just things that, you know, you don't do and you don't think someone else should do, or that you do do and you shouldn't do, or, or you do do and uh, like, you know, whatever. So let's use a few. For years, we'll just go kind of through some history. Used to, it was if you went to the theater, some of you are old enough to remember that. Some of the kids are like, I don't even, what is the theater? What are you talking about? You went to the theater. You watched a show. You went to a dance. Mm. You wore shorts and not pants. Russ is shaking his head. He remembers that. Thanks. What is it that you watch on television? Now, there's, there's some black and white, very clear-cut things on television and movies. If you're watching rated R, sexual images, all of that. Come on, that's not gray. That's not gray at all. That's clear. Get away from it. Have no appearance of evil. Don't be a part of it. How about Christians who, you know, take a little sip now and then? Hmm. Christians who go certain places. These are gray areas. 
and you have arguments and say, no, there's nothing in the scripture that says you can't do this, and the Bible's not clear on that, and no, you should live holy, and this is what holiness looks like. You get it? And all of a sudden now, the very thing that God desires, which is harmony and unity and one voice, has become a bunch of bickering, a bunch of arguing, a bunch of infighting. And so it, the, the lessons this morning absolutely still apply to you and I today. The Bible decides the boundaries for, quick, for Christian fellowship. Make no mistake. It doesn't matter how the culture shifts. It doesn't matter what changes take place in our society. It doesn't matter how you change in your kind of viewpoints or me. The Bible decides the boundaries for, for Christian fellowship. If you and I cling to man-made restrictions on the basis of personal convictions it tends to lead to conflicts because my traditions are different than your traditions. My convictions may be different than your convictions. Are you with me? And so we've got to be very careful. St. Augustine said it very well when he said this. In essentials, unity. In other words, if it's the, majors, the major doctrinal things of Scripture that are very clearly spelled out, no argument. We, if we can't agree on those, we can't be in fellowship. We don't yield in those areas. Make no mistake, before I get any further and you think, oh, he's gotten soft. Listen to me. If it's a major doctrinal issue, we, you are not called to walk in fellowship with someone that doesn't believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. You're not called to walk in unity or harmony with someone who doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit lives among us and works inside of us. I'm just telling you, that's the reality. You're not called to walk in unity with, with people who do not believe that Christ is the only way of salvation, right? Very clear. He says in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, ooh, that sounds like gray areas is what I would have said. Liberty, freedom. And in all things, here's the, here's the principle, charity or love. So in other words, even if there's some disagreements on what we like or dislike or what we think is right or wrong and all of that, we still have to work through those with what? Love. Folks, the reality is God expects you and I to live in peace and harmony with each other. And the truth is this morning, it takes effort. It takes effort from every single one of us for that to continually happen. It's not a one-time choice. It's a lifestyle where we choose as Christians and because we are Christians to live in harmony with our other brothers and sisters, with our, with our other church family. In every church, including this one, there are strong believers and there are weak believers. But according to the scripture, God accepts them all. Do you see the seventh verse? Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. I think we struggle with that at times, don't we? We, we sometimes look at certain people and, and we think, well, they've been in the church now a little while and, they've heard that, and they should be here. They should be at this level. They should know better. I mean, that's just human nature. But boy, this verse of scripture kind of gives us a warning and says, hang on, yo, back up. Let me take care of that. It's like God saying, let me take care of that. You take care of you. I'll take care of everybody else. 
And so don't just begin to throw on your, your beliefs and your ideas and your convictions on everyone else. No, instead, accept. Look, I know there are strong believers, and I know there are weak believers among us. That's why when a pastor or a preacher or someone gets up here on a Sunday morning, it's a very difficult task, folks. Because you're preaching here to however many people are here this morning, how many people are going to listen online, second service, and all across the board are different levels of spirituality. Who do I preach to? Do I preach to the new Christians and those that are young in the faith? Do I preach to those of you, you're so holy and so up, up here and you know all of the Bible and I got to preach to you something about whatever? And where do we preach? How do we do that? That's a tough task, right? So... At the end of the day, we have to accept each other and know that there are varying degrees of spirituality among us. And so this principle that we have to accept everyone and we have to accept that reality. Now, listen to me. That we're, this is all in the context of believers. So when I th say things like, oh, we got to accept everyone, I'm talking about fellow Christians. I know it's crazy that in this present society, I got to be very careful and make sure you understand what I'm saying to you. I'm not talking about anyone outside of the church, anyone that's a non-believer, not at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about born again followers of Jesus Christ. That's who Paul is addressing. And when, if you're a Christian and you are blood washed and I'm a Christian and I'm blood washed, we've got to accept each other. Now, that, what makes this even more complicated is we have people who say they're Christians in the church and they're not even close. So it gets confusing, doesn't it? Right? It's difficult. But the idea, the objective, the goal is that all of us together would bring glory to Christ. And listen to me. There is no glory being given to God and to Christ if you're bickering with fellow believers. Another guiding principle is found in the 14th chapter in the 5th verse. If you want to go back and look at it really quick, if, I don't think I can put it on the screen. But Romans chapter 14 verse 5, he says, In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is, is acceptable. In the New King James, King James, it says, Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. To be fully convinced in your own mind means let every man see to it that he is really doing what he does for the Lord's sake. I'm going to tell you that if you're taking notes, you should write this down because there are two real important points that we're going to make here. And this is the first one. Could you imagine if every one of us in honesty tried to live this way. In other words, we evaluated our actions, our words, our deeds, the way we interact with, the, with people based on this. If what I, if, is what I'm doing, what I'm saying, does it bring glory to Christ? Would I do it if Jesus was here? Think about that for a moment. It, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, be fully convinced. In other words, that's why in another part of scripture, he says each man should work out his own salvation in fear and trembling. In other words, listen, you should be your greatest critic. You personally should be your greatest critic. You should be the greatest judge in your own life. You don't have time. You got more than enough to work with on judging yourself. No time to judge anybody else. Plenty of material. You provide plenty of material. 
And he's saying, what if we lived that way and everything we did, we evaluated under this lens or through this lens of, am I, is what I'm doing for the Lord's sake or is it for personal preference? Colossians chapter three tells us clearly, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. If you sing, sing unto the Lord. If you preach, preach unto the Lord. If you prophesy, prophesy unto the Lord. If you come in among the believers, do it as if Jesus is right there in the midst. When you go into work, work as if Jesus is sitting in the cubicle next to you. If you're digging ditches, dig a ditch as if Jesus is digging a ditch right beside you. Do it heartily. In other words, do it with great effort and do it as if you were doing it directly for Jesus. Could you imagine what the church would be like if we lived and we believed that verse of scripture and those verses of scripture? That's what Paul's telling them. I love it. He's not like, hey, yo, quit worrying about the food. Just eat this. Here's your diet plan. Boom. End of discussion. Thus saith the Lord, eat steak. All the vegetarians are offended now. No, thus saith the Lord, eat vegetables. He doesn't do that because he knows that as people and as society shifts and ebbs and flows, we're going to have to have principles to stand on. And the principle that we're seeing right here is whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. God, help us. Help us to live that way. Before I say something, before I have an interaction, before I deal with the conflict, Lord, help me to do it as if I were doing it directly unto you. Now, that sounds great, and it is great. It's a phenomenal principle that we need to apply, but we also know that we don't live on an island, right? That we, Christians affect each other. Remember Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that, the body of Christ is like a physical body. It's one body, but it has all these different members. And when, when one member suffers, another member suffers. In other words, what he's teaching is that what we do affects other Christians. Some of you don't want to hear that. I'm t I've come this morning to make sure that I reiterate that point. If you profess Jesus Christ and you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, then what you're signing up for is to say, what you do doesn't just affect you, it affects the entire body of Christ. You're not on an island anymore. You're not to each his own. You don't get to live independent any longer. No, what you do, what you say, how you act, the places you go, the things you engage in affects everyone else in the body of Christ. You and I can cause someone else in the church to stumble. We can cause someone to be grieved, to be hurt. We can destroy each other based on our actions, based on our words, based on the things that we engage in. Do you realize that? You're a part of the body. And, and, and I, you just read 1 Corinthians 12 if you get a chance later. Paul just uses this great analogy. He's like, you, the, the foot can't say to the hand, I'm not a part of the body. I'm not doing what you want. I'm going to do something different today. Like it just sounds really silly, but that's what Paul's saying. He's like, wait, that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. You know, here we don't do a lot for membership and sometimes get criticized for that. Or you should do this, you should do that. Let me just tell you, 
I thought of this this morning. Here is a requirement to be a member of this church. If you want to be a member at the Bridge of Hope Worship Center, you have to choose and make daily effort to walk in harmony with the rest of the people that attend this church. Somebody say amen and put your hand together. Otherwise, otherwise, you're not welcome. You're not welcome. Wow. We don't need your tithe. We don't need your attendance. Because you are harming the testimony of Christ. And according to the scripture, God hates disunity. So I'm not speaking out of line at all. What is the requirement to, of being a member of the Bridge of Hope Worship Center? You have to choose to walk in unity. You have to choose to walk in step and in harmony with other believers that attend the church with you. That's a requirement. Come on, say amen again. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's almost the exact same. It's a parallel verse, but I'm going to read it because you got to see this. You're like, man, he's, is he right on this? Like this two, almost entirely two full chapters. We're going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. New Living Translation again. Read it. Read it in whatever translation you have. You'll see whatever. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one who God recognizes. So that so, so what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? That's the question. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but we know that there is only one God, the Father who created everything, and we live for him, and there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God has made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, not all believers know this. Hmm. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as a worship to a real God or real gods, and their weak conscience is violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin, sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Wow. How counterculture is that? 
totally opposite of what young people are being taught today. Totally opposite. I mean, completely different than what you're being conditioned and how you're being conditioned to live in our present society. Even in the church, even from the pulpit, being taught that you would live your life, do your thing, get your blessing, no regard, who cares who you run over during the, during the journey? Who cares who's harmed along the way? As long as you get yours, as long as your family gets theirs, live your life, enjoy this world. Come on, so that's, that's, that's the present culture. And that's being taught in pulpits across America. It's completely, literally the opposite of what the scripture teaches. It is completely opposite of the heart of God. No, the reality is this morning, we are all interconnected, folks, whether you like it or not. We are interconnected, and you cannot profess to be a follower of Christ and be a part of the body of Christ, which you were grafted into, which you were adopted into the family. You cannot have the blessings and not have the unity. You, you can't just claim all of the good and all of the blessings and absolve yourself of all of the responsibility. That's not how it works. That's what we're teaching. Oh, it doesn't matter if I show up to church. It matters. If you say you're a part of this body, it matters if you show up on Sunday morning. If you're a part of the body, it matters if you're giving, giving of your time, giving of your talent, giving of your treasure. It matters. It, it matters that you get along with others, even if that's not your strength or your personality. It matters. Notice what Paul says. He says, our knowledge tends to puff us up, right? But he says, it's love that builds up. So the issue this morning is not, as you ask yourself about what you're doing or what's going on, it's not how does this affect me, but it's if I do this, how will it affect my brother? It's been an age old, it, it's, it's, I don't know, I haven't heard a sermon on it in years. But years ago, you would hear these sermons, and, and many good preachers would, would preach from the book of Genesis, and they would use, they would, they would title it this, Am I My Brother's Keeper? And it's based on the exchange that God has with Cain and Abel, right? Who killed, Cain killed Abel? It's like we're, anyway, and God comes to him and says, hey, where's your brother? Like God doesn't know where his brother's at. He's already dusted him. He's dead. I snuffed him out. God knows that. Hey, where's your brother? You know what he says? Am I my brother's keeper? Yo, I'm just doing my thing. You put me here. I'm supposed to take care of this stuff and all of that. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm living for you, right? This is what you gave me to do. I'm fulfilling my obligation. Am I my brother's keeper? And God's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. That's the reality, folks. That's what it means to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. There's going to come a day when you're going to be very, very glad that you chose to walk in unity with the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's the only thing on planet earth that is going to continue forever. Somebody say amen. It's the only victory in the future. Governments are going to fall. 
Systems are going to fall. Organizations are going to fall. Every knee is going to bend. Every tongue is going to confess. Every, every ruler of the earth is going to bow. All of it's going to fade away. But the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, the blood-bought, blood-washed bride of the living Savior will live forever in victory with Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a day when you're going to be very, very happy that you bore along, that you, that you bared along with the church, that you dealt with some stuff, that you put up with some stuff, that you sacrificed some stuff, that, that you let some stuff slide. You weren't always offended. You're going to be really glad one day that you lived that way. We're all together. And so we have to ask the question, not how is this going to affect me, but how is it going to affect my brother? Will, will what I'm doing encourage my brother towards sanctification or will it tempt him to sin? I love, I love how Paul says it, like he answers this question, is it worth harming my brother just so I can enjoy some food, just so I can enjoy some drink? just so I can enjoy some movies, just so I can enjoy a little bit of pleasure. And Paul answers it adamantly, absolutely not. That's why, that's why for me, my stand is very clear on drinking. Why? why? You, you, you don't think that people are watching you? Cursing, that was a trend. I think, I think it's finally kind of faded out, maybe not. There was a trend not long ago where there were preachers cussing because they were so spiritually mature in who they were in Christ. You know, they just, and, and, and so they just thought, I can cuss. They were cussing from the pulpit. You got preachers drinking from the pulpit, right? To be like, I'm in Christ and I'm all covered. Okay, great. Good, yo, that's cute, you're, you're in Christ, good job. What about the guy watching you who has just gotten saved and has come from an alcoholic and abusive uh, relationship or that has been bound by alcohol himself and now you're going like, look at me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in Christ, I'm in Christ. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute. So it's okay, I don't have to give that up. But see, the problem is for you, you're okay. You can do it. But as soon as he goes back to that drink one more time, he's done. He's done. He's away from Christ. He's back in the world. And he's back in the world because of what you're doing. That's what the scripture says. That's not what I said. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. And so all of a sudden now, what's just a gray area and a little fun to tamper around with the Bible says, listen, you, you look at the scripture. So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. Verse 12, and when you sin against other believers, you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong. You sin against Christ. It's a sin. It's a sin. Saying things, doing things, acting a certain way. We have, we have, I mean, the list goes on and on about things that we bicker about in the church. We, we have people who bicker. We get almost, I don't know about weekly, that might be in a stretch, monthly. People who are watching sermons online all over the United States, other countries now. 
And they'll text, they'll call in, they'll send an email. Phenomenal message, great job. Is that the King James Version he's reading from? We have people who will come to this church and have sat under the preaching for a while, and it takes them a while, but then they realize, we're not reading. Oh, he read the New Living. Some people leave today. He read from the New Living, the whole service. And, and the world watches that. The world hears those arguments, and they're like, you guys are jokers. Like, you're arguing. So you're arguing about what's translation. They're telling me that preacher isn't preaching from the real Bible. I had someone tell me that. He's like, your church is great. He was, he was being kind. Like, you know, I know it's church, it's great. I see what all's in it. He's like, but you don't preach from the real Bible. I said, I, how did you figure that out? I've been preaching from the fake Bible the whole time. You just figured it out. It's been going on for like 15 years. 800 people are just clueless. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, I... The fake Bible. You know why? Because it wasn't the 1611 authorized King James Version Bible. And we bicker and argue about that, and the world's laughing. Like these guys, like, we're gonna believe this. They're, you're telling me, think if you're a non-believer, you're telling me that you believe the Son of God came to the earth, shed his blood, and died on the cross for all of the world. And if I bend my knee to him and serve him, not only will I have eternal life, but I'll have abundant life on earth. I'll have the blessing of God, the favor of God. He'll walk with me. He'll guide me. I'll have access to the throne of God. When I pray according to his will, the things that I pray I'll have. You're telling me you believe that, and yet you're spending your time bickering over which translation you, you preach from? Come on. Who, who believes that? Real talk. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the gray area is. But, but the reality is we have to be very careful about the way we live. That's the bottom line. We have to be very careful what we bicker about, what we argue over, what we're willing to do. True Christian love is not selfish. Because the truth is this is a matter of selfishness. That's what it is. You want to do it, and you want someone to justify what you're doing. That's the truth. And so it's selfishness. But true Christian love is not selfish. Paul tells us clearly that true love doesn't seek its own benefit. Instead, it seeks the benefit of others. It seeks to share with others. It, it seeks for our brothers to, to benefit, even Christ taught, even over ourselves. That's the teaching of Jesus. That's, that's not my thought. It's not my opinion. These are the words of Christ himself. A mature Christian is willing to give up his rights so that someone else could be helped. For, for me, I'll just share a personal one. I'm not proud of it. And it's not been recent, but I, so I, I would like to cuss. I'm just being honest. I used to cuss. And there was this little trend with cussing and, and, and I'm just going to use an example. And there was someone that I was around that was a Christian that I looked up to. And they, they used a couple of words that could be very gray. 
Some of you probably use them. And so I'm not saying it's a sin or not. I'm not just be, just follow me for the, for the lesson. And they would say this word that starts with a P ends with two S's and has an I in the middle. And I thought, you know what? That's in the Bible. Right there in the Bible. So I'm going to do that. So when I get mad, I'm just like, P, two S's with an I in the middle. But what happened was, because, because I wasn't in a good position to control what was a temptation to me, guess what that led to? That led to a couple other words. Are you following me? Now, I had to address that, and I had to deal with that. And I don't blame the other believer, right? They, not, they didn't do that on purpose. But, but I'm, it's just a living example, right, of how it can happen. Now, what if, what if that happens on whatever scale it is, in whatever gray area it is? Am I preaching to you that saying P with the two S's and the I in the middle is a bad word and that if you, preach, if you say it, you're going to hell? Not at all. It's in the Bible. Like, I get it. So don't give me, I get it. But you get the point. That kind of opened the door of influence to me. It's been a number of years ago, but they're like, hey, that is right. I can use that. And so I'm driving, and I would use that word creatively. And, and, and of course, the person that the Lord sends into your path to help you with that is usually your spouse. And her and the Holy Spirit are just looking at me. Like with this look of like, what are you, what is wrong with you? Are you with me? And so I can say today that I've worked on that and continue to work on that and keep that because that's important, right? Not because like Jesus is upset with me or he's disappointed or I've sinned necessarily. Like I think it was, it was becoming sin because of the way I was using it. But, but the point is, the point is because I don't, it's not necessary, and, and, and if, I, if, if all I have to do is make a few adjustments in my life of, of, of staying away from some things that I would like to do, but just simply not doing them so that it benefits someone else, Paul says, I'll do it gladly. He says, if, if that means completely abstaining from meat, I'll do it every day. God help us. God help me to have that kind of love and that kind of devotion for Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Quickly, we're going to end very quick. He, he speaks about the conscience in the seventh verse. And here's what you need to know about the conscience, because I don't want there to be any confusion. The, the conscience is not the final say, but, but, but understand something. The, the word conscience means to know with, and it's actually the internal court where our actions are judged and they're either approved or condemned. Right, that's like inwardly, you're just, you either think this is okay or this is wrong. Now, that your conscience is not the law, but your conscience will bear witness to God's moral law. And so here's, here's the reality. The, the, more, the more you and I read the word of God, and here's the key, act upon it. So now we're gaining knowledge and we're walking in humble obedience. The more we do that, the stronger the conscience gets. And so now all of a sudden, I can talk to you about, some of you are sitting here like, that guy's been nut. P, die, that's he, double L. And you're like, you're leaving out of here saying all kinds of stuff. Okay, 
But now all of a sudden, guess what? You heard a sermon that's going to jack you up. Because now you've heard from the word of God, and maybe you never heard this before. Maybe you didn't understand it. Maybe you didn't know it. And Paul's like, hey, there are people among you that their conscience, they don't know. They've never been taught. They've never, they've never read this in the word of God. They've never, it's never been explained to them. And so to them, it's okay. But then, here's what happens. That's why years ago, I remember, I remember listening to David Wilkerson, and he said to his congregation, he said, you guys... I'm paraphrasing, but basically he says, you sit here and you hear anointed, powerful preaching week after week after week. He said, some of you need to leave this church. First time I'd ever heard that from a pastor. And he said, and the reason is, is because your conscience is being seared. You're hearing what you should do and what you shouldn't do, but you're choosing to disregard it. And therefore, your conscience is being seared. It was bold, like he was literally telling people to leave the church. And, and, and the reason is, is because you hear the word of God and you hear what it is that God, what is acceptable before God and what God desires. And then you and I have to make a choice. Are we going to obey this? Are we going to walk in this? Are we going to just, are we going to just blow it off? as like, that was just the crazy preacher's thought. That's just some, that's the church's idea. That, or are you going to hear it from the word of God and let it speak to you? Now, knowledge and obedience makes your conscience strong, and now the Holy Spirit can guide you, right? And all of a sudden, when you start to say a word, or start to take a drink, or start to watch something, or start to go somewhere, or whatever it is, all of a sudden, now the Holy Spirit can remind you of what God's Word says. Are you with me? And that's what strengthens us. I'm going to close in James chapter 4. Go there with me really quick. I want to, you got to get this. And some of you may have heard this. Uh, Tim Delina touched on this. It was a totally different... But I, I'm just going to take a few points that he made really quick that will help us live in harmony. And it will help us judge where we are in this process. i got to go quick. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Do you see just this morning how much this is addressed in Scripture and how important it is to God? That he wants us to walk in unity together. And he says, what is it that's causing your conflicts? This is what James says. What is it that has come among you and disrupts your harmony? G.K. Chesterton, the English writer and Christian apologist, was writing a response to a newspaper op-ed in the London Times. And someone asked Mr. Chesterton, he said this, Mr. Chesterton, what is wrong with the world? His answer, I am. He realized that quarrels and fights start with me. Why, why are there conflicts in the house of God? Why are, why are there conflicts and fights in the church among Christian followers of, of Christ? Because of me. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. You're going to see it. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You see, it's about you and I looking at our own life only. And just seeing life through this very simple lens of just, it's just me. It's just me and my family. It's just what I want. 
Nothing else matters. I'm not connected to anything bigger. And when you live that way, you're going to be a part of conflicts and quarrels. We're, we're conditioned to live this way. We're conditioned, if something's going on in our life, to blame someone else. We're conditioned, if there's a problem, to immediately look at someone else and not look inward. We are conditioned, folks. I'm telling you, the world is conditioning us to say, if there's a problem, it's got to be someone else's fault. There's no way it's me. We're conditioned with this in marriages, with our children, uh, at our, in our careers, and our jobs, in the church. But according to James, he's saying, no, you've got it all wrong. You need to start, when you want to resolve an issue, you need to start first by looking at yourself. And, and you got to begin to ask yourself the question, is it possible that you're causing the problem? I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but James says, okay, we're going to end. We're going to close. Come and sing. He says, James gives us two reasons. And we write these down. Two reasons why you're fighting. Two reasons why there's not unity. Two reasons why there's bickering and quarreling. Folks, this is, only, this is applicable to the church. But I think it can spill over, of course, to your family as well. And even to other relationships, quite frankly. But number one, the reason there's fighting and quarreling, it's an inside fight that has become an outside fight. Write that down. It's an inside fight that has become an outside fight. The New American Standard Bible translation says in this first verse, what is the source? What is the source of your quarrels? And, and the source is from the inside of us. And, and so what do I mean? Listen, look at me. What do I mean? It means this. You're not getting what you want. And when you don't, win, and when you don't get what you want, you have quarrels. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's an inside fight that now is manifesting outward, which simply means you're not getting what you want. Someone is not doing what you want them to do. Or someone has done something that you don't want them to do. At the end of the day, if you will look at almost all of your conflicts, you're going to find that that's the reality. Someone has done something that you did not want them to do or that you don't like. Or someone is not doing what you want them to do. And so it's an inward conflict. And so here's the truth. Conflicts reveal a struggle inside of us. Mm. Conflicts reveal a struggle inside of us. People often see what has been done to them, but they never look at what's going on in them. I'm just going to tell you one great indicator to show you where you are in your relationship with Jesus is how you're interacting with other people. If you're constantly fighting, constantly nagged, constantly upset, just always at odds with other people. It's an inward testimony. It's an inward warning sign. You need to get closer to Jesus. That's the truth. The war on the outside is from the war on the inside. Last, and we're going to close. The second verse says this. He's like, you're lacking something. And you think that you can get it from other people. When in reality, the thing that you're lacking only comes from God. These are the two reasons that there's quarrels. 
One, you're, you're just shellfish. Someone's not doing what you want. You're not getting what you want. It's not happening the way you want. Your way is not, being, is not prevailing. Or the second thing is you're searching for something that you can only get from God, but you're searching for it through other people. And, and that will always lead to frustration. And so write this down as we close. Prayerlessness and conflict are always connected. Let's stand. Some of you have never heard this. I hope by taking the time to read so many passages of scripture, you'll see that this is in the Bible. You'll see that this is, this is not something that I was like, man, I can't wait to preach this. This is, I, I really got this idea in my head and I think it's really gonna help the church. No, it's the scripture, it's clear. It's, it, it's taking stuff that's gray and making it very clear. That's why, that's why today, if someone asks me, Pastor, hey, is drinking wrong? I'm not gonna answer that question. I refuse for you to put me, that's it. I can't answer that. Is, is going to this movie wrong? Is this wrong? Like, why are you asking me that? Is it in the Bible? If it's not in the Bible, then here's your principles. Here's, here's your guiding principles. Use these and then make your decision. And I'm not gonna judge you whatever you choose. Some of you are gonna listen to this and things I said, it's not gonna affect anything that you do. You're gonna still do everything you did, that's fine. I'm not your judge. My responsibility was to teach it to you. Are you with me? Others will hear this and say, man, I never thought of that. That's, wow, God's word speaking. That's, it's important to God. And you have a soft conscience, you have a sincere heart. You desire to do the will of God and you'll make changes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Boy, it is, it is like a hammer. It really comes and smashes some thoughts and ideas that we develop on our own. I know it has for me. Your word, Lord, really is like a double-edged sword that goes right to the heart, right to the matter, right, right to the issue. And no doubt this morning we've been challenged. And so for just a few moments, Holy Spirit, you don't challenge us this way for us to leave down and burn. You, you challenge us to be better, to be closer to you, to be more effective for you, to live in greater joy, to experience greater peace. And Lord, this underlying theme that we didn't spend a lot of time on, but was clearly there, that is, the love of God, the love of Christ flowing and dominating and controlling and being at the forefront of all that we do. That's the only way we'll ever be able to follow this. Lord, if you'll come this morning and give a fresh baptism of love, love for you, love for your word and love for our brothers and sisters. Why don't we just begin to ask for that right now all over the sanctuary. And really, the it's just this, like, Help me to be more concerned about the people around me. Come on, lift your hands. You can pray at the altar. Come on, let's do it right now. Just altar there in your seat, hands lifted somehow, some way before Jesus, just saying, help me to be more concerned with those around me.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you'd like to learn more about The Bridge, or if you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.